Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode seven of the STI podcast. I'm here with Johanna, Nicola, and then we have as a guest our friend Sebastiano or Seb or whatever you want to be called. Seb is fine. Okay, good. Hello. And today we are going to speak about Hello. Some programming, Android, nerd stuff. So I would say we start maybe with uh, Seb, tell us about yourself, whatever you want to say. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm an Android engineer, a Google developer expert uh, for Android, Flutter, and Identity. I work in a mobile agency uh, called Novoda. Uh, which uh, is, well, I'm in the main office, which is in London, but we have offices in Germany and Spain as well. Um, I, I've been in the UK for four years. Uh, I used to live in Italy. Uh, actually, I knew uh, Giovanni since uh, we were kids because we went to school together. So, yeah, I, I have my way into podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we invite only the... The close friends because nobody else wants to speak with us basically <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh, we can start already with a difficult question what about brexit no it's a joke let's <laughs> <laughs> is swearing allowed on this podcast yes. well my yeah, swearing well, is totally yes. fine <laughs> you find mild <laughs> Well, I mean, actually, uh, I mean, we don't have to seriously talk about this, but uh, uh, just a quick, uh, quick sort of uh, question. Has it affected your life, uh, like actually affected your everyday life? No, not really. Not in okay. any meaningful way so far. We'll see okay. when things actually start <laughs> happening, though. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And for your work, the... Uh, do you have any concerns regarding, I don't know, implications or problems that might happen? I, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, at the time that Brexit comes to effect, I will, I should be, if I, if I made my math right, which is probably not the case, um, I will be in the bracket that can actually ask for a, like a permanent visa for living in the UK. But the big question is, will I still be in the UK by then? Who knows? We'll mm. find out in a year or so. Um, so what does your, I mean, obviously, yeah, your company does some, some uh, Android engineering and so on, but is it, um, do you do like a, are you a third party sort of developer who gets contracts from, from someone and then you sort of create software or do you create your own software or or are you part of Google somehow, or what's the, what's the deal? Uh, no, we, uh, the company uh, is, uh, is an agency. So what they do is agency work. Basically, we have clients uh, that need help making an app or improving their existing app. Uh, so they, they hire the company, uh, and then we, we do the work with them and for them. Uh, mm. We are not part of Google, although, whoops, drop a microphone, off to a good start. Um, yeah, it's okay, don't worry, the level here is uh, <laughs> it's fine, amateur, it's fine. <laughs> amateur level anyway. <laughs> you can be relaxed. Uh, so I was going to say, we are not part of Google, 
uh, although we are um, Google certified agency, which means that they know that we know how to use their products, basically. And you, oh, put, okay. you don't put uh, we are the Chinese uh, software into your... Or, or at least we don't put only Chinese weird software. We also put a, uh, American weird software. And mm. Russian. Okay, yeah. Well, no, no Russian Don't make software. Putin sad, come on. <laughs> if he pays us, maybe, I don't know. We're an agency. <laughs> That's true, we, true. We, we can make an arrangement. Uh, so far, as far as I know, there's no ties with Yandex or whatever. Okay. How, how did how would you get certified by Google? Uh, I'm not entirely sure how the program works for agencies. I know that we were fairly heavily involved with creating the program in the first place a few years back. So that uh, might be how okay. we got in. Uh, we made it. <laughs> but I, I might be wrong because I wasn't part of that. I, I just saw uh, a few colleagues of mine working with people from Google defining some things in the program. Okay. So that's all I know, really. So basically, that's, that's how every one of us gets to stay in the podcast every episode because we made it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the easiest, easiest way to belong into an exclusive club is to just have one by yourself. Yeah. I have, I have a dozen exclu exclusive clubs, which are, <laughs> I assure you, very exclusive. Yeah, I've you're the only out. member. <laughs> yeah, I've been kicked out even from one of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, I have some more questions. Uh, I, I guess none, none of us has any uh in any way any any experience in, in uh mobile operating systems except for using them i guess am i right yeah i yeah. tried once to flash a new operating system in the old uh, nokia n9 and well follow instructions everybody can do that mm, yeah besides yeah. that okay. i don't know yeah, i thought so you were gonna say you bricked it no no, no. <laughs> it's still functioning no, it's just a tone of voice kind of implied that you made a big mess then <laughs> <Right>. I didn't. <laughs> um, so my my understanding is that uh, Android is a very I don't know is this the right term but somehow very modular or a very compartmental compartmentalized uh, operating system. When you compare it, for example, to let's say Windows or Linux, where uh, sort of the base services are freely almost freely available to any application, whereas in Android. For example, if you want to install an application, then it might ask, can the application use your file system or your clock or calendar or whatever? Um, is, this, is this in any way true? Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. I mean, uh, the main, well, as step back, uh, as you might know, Android is actually a Linux-based operating system in that it uses yeah. a version, albeit, uh, quite modified version of the Linux kernel underneath. Um, and the security and access, uh, access, access control uh, policies in Android are mostly built upon uh, standard Linux and Unix security. Uh, but I, I, would, I would say they're, they're made probably a bit more streamlined and a bit more formalized than uh, what they could be in, in, like in Linux normally. 
So for example, Android uses uh, SE Linux, which is uh, security extensions, I think is the acronym for Linux, um, which is basically a way to make sure that applications and users cannot go and mess with the kernel memory or with certain uh, resources and so on and so forth. And all the security model in Android is implemented uh, using uh, Unix uh, user security uh, patterns. So basically, every application uh, and uh, in in, a, in an Android install, uh, mm -hmm. even the ones you install later manually that are not part of the system, have their own uh, Linux user associated with them. And ah, okay. Users get permissions to do certain things, and permissions are managed by the system. But the, the whole permission model of Android is just an abstraction over that. And is the fundamentals of the security model in Android is based on the Linux security model. Oh, that's actually already extremely interesting. I had no, no idea about that. Um, I guess sort of, well, since you talked about the users and at least to my knowledge, it's, I mean, well, I know that it's very easy to, if you have the administrative rights, to create new user groups and new users and sort of um, give them individual access to uh, different files. So um, are are they grouped like, for example, if, if five applica different applications all want to use, let's say, the clock. I don't know if this is in any way relevant. Can you use the clock easily or not? But anyway, let's say you can't. You have to have some access rights. Um, do they all then sort of belong to the group of clock users or something? Or how, how is the, are they just individual uh, users of these applications? Or uh, do they belong to sometimes the same groups? I, I seem to remember, I, I wouldn't want to say something wrong, but I seem to remember uh, that uh, users get individually granted um, rights. I don't think that they use user groups that much. Mm -hmm. um, but um, just to, to make an example, as I mentioned, every application that you install uh, gets its own uh, Unix uh, user associated with it. Uh, yeah. And that uh, is, for example, how you can make sure that the application data that is stored on the, on the disk, on the storage, does not get accessed by other people is because by other apps uh, is because well the application folder that contains all the data is uh, has a the standard unix unix permissions to say only this user mm -hmm. can access it okay uh, yeah. and there is no root user uh, in a in a production android install uh, ah. even the system doesn't have root permissions it has system permissions which are almost root but are not entirely the same mm. uh, and in fact the, the reason why some people root their their phones which means to basically create uh, the possibility for for users and then for apps to escalate their permissions to to super user is so that they can have apps accessing other apps uh, or or other components of the system that they normally wouldn't have access to. Yeah, OK. So, so basically uh, trying to overcome the limitations that are there by design, uh, which yeah, means it's, a very 
um, high-end user or, or a technical user kind of thing, or even that might be a bad idea? Yeah, I mean, in general, there's reasons for, for the restrictions that there are nowadays on Android. I would argue that once upon a time, a few years ago, there were way, way more reasons uh, that someone might want to root their device. Uh, but nowadays, a lot of things are in the system, so you don't really need to, to root to have, uh, to have things. And you probably don't want to or don't need to customize as much as you, uh, you would have wanted because Android does kind of look good by itself now. <laughs> so many of the many of the people that did root their devices back in, back then, and I guess still do, uh, do it because they want to change how the system works. But now Android does have a like a theming engine, uh, which is not very much used, but it does have it. So like all those things over time that people were rooting their devices for, they have become let's say available uh, via normal means or, or semi-hidden means, mm. but still you don't need to be root. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, so um, I don't know, some, some developers of, of the Android or some people who decide these sort of things have, have thought that maybe it's useful for um, to allowing this sort of, um, let's call it restricted access, but still without uh, you having to uh, sort of throw out all the safety measures. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, the user always has control on what application can do, basically. So, well, the, the, the permission model has changed uh, a few major versions of Android ago. I think it was uh, in 2015 uh, with Android 6, uh, also known as Marshmallow. Uh, they introduced the so-called runtime permissions so basically, if, a, if an application is trying to access some, uh, some resources that are deemed to be sensitive uh, because they might imply privacy problems or they might imply uh, like a cost for the user, like using uh, premium messaging services and all those things, uh, then they, the application have to request the, the permission at runtime, and then the, the, the system will tell the user, hey, this application is trying to do this, this, and that. Is that all right with you or not? And that's the, the, the dialogue you get. Uh, this is actually, in my opinion, this is somehow um, quite interesting also from the, from the user experience point of view, because um, at least for, for me, the first time I ever used an Android uh, phone, I guess the same, I don't know, actually, does the same apply to iOS or, or uh, other mobile operating systems. But anyway, I sort of felt somehow uh, slightly paranoid when my phone is asking this application wants to use this and this and this. And I felt sort of, uh, okay, why, why is it asking me? Uh, is this, what, what is happening? Why does it want to have access to this? Oh, no, no, well, what is going on? Please, no, no, don't access anything, whereas in, when you use your normal computer, it's it's pretty obvious that um, almost all of the applications they have full access to most of the files of almost anywhere. I mean, obviously, uh, barring some files that are um, in, for example, uh, operating system files or so on. But you know, uh, computer programs don't ask for permission because they already have the permission 
whereas in Android, it actually does ask for permission, which at first seems somehow uh, weird or scary. At least it felt to me that something is going on. I, I kind of see it as the system acting as a firewall between uh, the application you're running and the rest of the, the device that it's running on and the data that is on the device or accessible via the device. So I guess it might be, it might be a bit scary, but the, my, my understanding is that they did that because previously what happened was when you, when you installed an application and there were no runtime permissions, uh, you would get a big dialogue that says, oh, this application requires this, 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 and that permission. Uh, if the application is Facebook, is every single permission that exists under the light of the sun. Uh, other applications <laughs> might just require one. Uh, but the, the, the net effect is that people started ignoring those dialogues and they just click, yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, you yeah. know, it's like ac uh, the, accepting licenses when you install software. Yeah, actually, yeah. So, so now you can control those runtimes separately one by one. Yeah, exactly. The idea is okay. that now they should be like developers are encouraged to move the moment to uh, when they request a permission as close as possible to when the user does something for which the permission is needed. So there is this like implicit uh, connection between, oh, I'm trying to do this and the app is asking for a permission. Mm -hmm. And oh, yeah, it kind of sounds related to what I'm doing. So yeah, I'm okay with it. Yeah, yeah, that actually sounds uh, to my mind very like a very good idea. I don't think I have maybe I have a too old uh, version of Android because I don't think I have seen this runtime yet. Uh, I still have the I'm installing an application and then it wants all the all the um, um, yeah. But that still happens when you install the application. That's just a store that tells you like what you are gonna be needing. But then now, when you use the application, it asks again to really yeah, yeah. give access kind of uh, so it's actually it's... no it doesn't it doesn't do it anymore since they introduced the mm -hmm. uh, runtime permissions on the versions of android that uh, support runtime permission when you install an app you just click install and it installs it, it doesn't but sometimes it, it it tells you like hey this uses uh, maybe only for some specific things like if you use the i don't know in-app purchasing and few things then it asks again or something it should not be the case anyway if it does still it's probably because the developers of those applications haven't mm, updated okay. them uh to support runtime permissions because yeah. it's an opt-in uh, yeah okay it might be uh, because obviously you, you need to code the logic to request the permission and handle the cases where the user says you know what no you don't deserve it yeah yeah uh, how about google app because i understand third-party apps that need to require runtimes and all these permission to, to run. But what about the embedded uh, app that you find in the system, like photo or Gmail? Uh, they work differently or is the same? Let's say they, they are a bit privileged in the sense that apps <coughs> that are pre-installed on the system in the system partition uh, do get their, uh, and that, that they are signed with the same key as the rest of the system, they do get their permissions pre-approved. So you don't need to approve permissions for, say, the phone application. Uh, because obviously it would be a painful first uh, start of the system where you have to, get, to grant permission to every single thing that is running. 
and there's way more apps than you than you realize that make the system run it's not just the phone and the contacts and the messaging app there's whatever is in charge of getting uh, push notifications. There is the one that is in charge of checking updates for apps on the Play Store. There is whatever is uh, going to check if there's system updates and so on and so forth. Yeah, a myriad of, of uh, silent background applications yeah. which you never even heard of. Like there's all the system services that are in and by itself mostly uh, implemented by applications that are in the system partition that are so-called system applications but um, if you i don't remember i think that if you have applications that are pre-installed on the system but in the let's say user app folder uh, i'm not sure if those do get the permissions granted in advance or not it might not be those are mm. the the applications that are pre-installed but you can uninstall if you don't want for, for example, whereas the ones on the system can only be deactivated. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I actually noticed this and I was about to ask that can, I, I guess there are measures against uh, the end user accidentally basically deleting everything uh, off of his phone. Yeah, there are, there's obviously ways to say this is a crit critical system component, the user cannot disable it. Uh, mm. then it is up to the OEM that builds Android for their device to say, okay, uh, I, I actually don't need this thing, so it can be disabled by users if they want to. Uh, but of course, if it's critical, that users must not be able to yeah. disable it. Yeah. Um, like disabling the phone calls in a phone is yeah. maybe not the smartest thing you can do. It's like disabling the the... I don't know the the alarm scheduler. That's probably not a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have a. I don't know yet how how I uh, how do I form this question, but I have a long long question. Um, mm. uh, I have heard that um, Apple does this many times that they basically create uh, more difficult to run or or more. Um, you need basically more resources to run uh, the next version of the software. Uh, does do you, in your experience, does this happen in Android? And and or is it just possible that um, there are so many new kind of things that need uh, more resources? Because as far as I understand. Uh, the uh, hardware of the phones it hasn't increased that much in the last let's say four years i mean in in longer time period yes but maybe in four years so for example the amount of ram or the speed of the cpu uh, so basically the question is uh, does android get heavier and harder to harder for the hardware or is it about the same that was indeed that was indeed a long question. <laughs> Sorry for that. Yeah. The answer is going to be short. It depends. <laughs> I, I which, thought so. Which, I thought so. Which is the best answer you can ever give to anyone when it comes to engineering questions, right? That's yeah. true. It depends. I either <laughs> totally agree with of, that. Ten years of work, or uh, ten, uh, or it depends. Yeah. So the the, the long form of that answer is. It depends on 
the version of Android and it depends on other factor. So for example, some versions of Android uh, focus more on cutting down of the use on the use of resources, improving battery life, um, and you know all those background things. So those Android releases don't really tend to decrease, decrease, sorry, require a steep increase in uh, in resources, which means they're probably gonna run just fine. Uh, the um, the other the other case that could happen is that every now and then, every few years, Android has a massive major upgrade that might require, uh, I don't know, new uh, GPU capabilities to render a new style of UI, for example. Oh, okay. It might require uh, certain capabilities, for example, you might have to have the ability to, to do uh, encryption in hardware. Uh, and all those things. So those are, let's say that those are versions of Android that tend to stay around for quite a while, uh, because um, after you know a, a big new release is is released, it, it's only going to work well on high-end devices. And low-end devices and mid-end devices will probably lag a bit behind. And what happens with low-end and mid-end devices is that they never get actual software updates, or they don't get many. And especially in the cases where it's a big disruption from the previous versions, mm. uh, they they tend to to stay there. And people that are getting low-end devices are probably not that interested in in having you know better performance or newer versions of the operating system, and they tend to keep their phones for longer time. So what oh, happens yeah. is that you, if you look at the distribution of the user base of um, Android users, um, until I think last year or something like that, uh, there was a very significant amount of people that was still on Android 2.3 gingerbread because it was the last version before, uh, let's say, ice cream sandwich, which was a very big change in terms of mm -hmm. system and resources usage and all those things. Um, so all those devices were stuck on gingerbread and all those people were not buying new devices. So until those devices basically, I think, died of natural death or uh, probably the, the, the sons and nephews that had to fix their phones at some point were like, you know what? It's cheaper to buy you a new phone than having to drive all over to, to your place to, to fix your phone every other day. Yeah. <laughs> so that, I, I think that that is the thing. And now nowadays, the new gingerbread is KitKat, which is Android 4.4. Again, it's the version that is before Android Lollipop, which did, again, very big changes in how the system mm -hmm. works. So that's where there's a significant amount of people that are currently stuck on uh, is that. And then everyone in the Android development community is waiting for people to buy new phones so we can uh, stop supporting KitKat. <laughs> so is there a, a way because I'm reading sometimes a bit about this, how Android works, and it's kind of, in a way, not separated how updated can be done in an easy way. So it would be easier if uh, Google or anyway, the manufacturer could easily update to newer version 
and driver would kind of move easily through the new version. The same thing as happening in the computer space. You can install Windows 10 in basically any computer and it probably everything is going to work. Yeah, the, the, the big difference between uh, a desktop computer or, or laptop for that uh, matter and uh, a mobile environment is that for performance and battery reasons, they have to be uh, to a degree very coupled with the underlying hardware. So drivers don't generally come as, a, as separate from the kernel. They come with the kernel. So when you get a system update, then you get an update to the drivers that goes with it. Mm. But the problem is that some drivers, or in some cases, all the drivers, are not written by, well, they're not generally written by Google, unless they are for the, let's say, reference uh, hardware platform. They're written by the, 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 the companies that make the CPU, that make the, the, the broadband mo uh, modem, yeah, that make the, the, this chip or that chip. So the thing is, when they stop uh, supporting updates with those things, oh, yeah. uh, then it then dies there. It, it dies there, that's the problem. And for example, yeah. if, if I am uh, a random Chinese uh, manufacturer, I'm not gonna buy the, the fancy Qualcomm CPUs, I'm gonna buy Rockchip or MediaTek because those are way cheaper. Or I'm gonna have some other random Chinese uh, uh, CPU or something like that, which do perform well for what they are, uh, but they don't really get much support after their release. So uh, those devices cannot easily be moved on to a, to a later version of Android. And that's how- Yeah, is there a way to maybe yeah, yeah. Change. So that is only half of the problem. Uh, actually, it's one third of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's never as easy. Another thing that goes with engineering, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the the other problem is that um, when when OEMs customize Android, uh, they are taking the Android source code and they are making changes to it. Uh, that is not necessarily going to work well when the system underneath it changes and uh, you know contracts change so applications expect something to happen but maybe it doesn't happen anymore or it happens in a different way uh, um, yeah, okay. so like take samsung that do a full rescan of the operating system every time there is a new version of android what they need to do is they need to take all the code that they have uh, which is basically a fork of Android. They don't build proper Android. They have forked it years ago, and they run on their fork. And they oh, painstakingly crap. have to merge in all the changes that Google has done into their into their fork. I am so glad. I'm, yeah, I'm so glad I'm not that the person doing that. Oh, um, well, the, the persons. I'm I'm quite sure that they have to have like yeah, yeah, yeah. armies whole, of people doing this. A whole building um, of. of yeah. And they, and they have to do it like you, you have to think of Android as Android uh, at the Java level. So applications, UI, all those things are kind of separated from Android at the Linux level. Uh, because the, the Linux level runs on native code uh, and all those things, whereas the, the system that users see is all running on, uh, on the Android runtime, which is a, uh, a runtime for, for 
Java, basically, uh, and Kotlin, and, and whatever other, other language you want to, to run. But uh, the point is, you have those two layers, and both need to be updated. So the, at the Linux level, you need to make sure that you have a compatible kernel version, which again, it really depends on the manufacturer of the hardware, uh, which sometimes will update things because they have enough clients to make it like uh, economically sensible to do. Uh, but sometimes they don't have enough clients or they don't get paid enough by clients. So unless there is, let's say, a lead client that pays for them to do the update, they don't do the update. So there is no update of the kernel, there is no update of the drivers, there's nothing. So that makes it difficult. So basically the devices with the version of Android it has and that's yeah. about it. Now there is something that has been yeah. done uh, after years and years finally uh, with Android 8, they started the so-called project treble, uh, which is basically defining well formalizing all the uh, all the interfaces and hardware abstraction layers between the the android operating system and the linux uh the linux stuff that goes underneath so basically there is a predefined api and a predefined behavior that should decouple well it does decouple the the low level uh kernel stuff so all the drivers and all those things from the operating system that is built upon those. So that should make mm. things way easier to update because, well, if you don't want to change how the UI works, you're, you're fine. You just need to get the new kernel uh, and the new drivers, and that's all you need to do. You don't need to make sure that the new drivers work still in the same way. I mean, obviously, you need to do it to a point, but not a lot. Um, this is this is very fascinating, at least to me. And I think one of the big mistakes that I I hope I don't do so much in the future. But I what I realized I did now when I asked my very long question for you. By the way, gave a very excellent answer to um, is that I think Android as a homogeneous thing, basically in 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 both ways uh, that the devices are homogeneous, which they apparently and, and and obviously are not they are very different and then homogeneous as an operating system which you just explained uh isn't because it has well i mean already these two layers but overall it's not a very homogeneous i would say it's it's extremely heterogeneous for both of these um things related to android both the devices or the device base on which android has to run and then the system itself yeah, so, and that's not even all. I mean, the, the, as, yeah, I, as yeah. I mentioned, those were two of the three parts that are involved in providing an, uh, an, a software update to the system, with the third part being you need to certify devices. Once you have, like, these are phones, they need to get the approval from the carriers to be able to work on their network, because otherwise they just get blacklisted and you can't do an update. Uh, because all the devices just get dropped out of the network the, try, the second they try to connect. And that certification is lengthy and is expensive. But is that only in the US or also in Europe? Because if you have to certify in Europe, there's going to be like 200,000 different carriers that you have to certify, or is more like... A... It, it really depends, uh, again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think in the US is more like they have three, four major carriers, and they're kind of okay yeah. with it. But um, 
it's mostly for um, for a specific technology, so to make sure that things don't go wrong. And also, you know, there are phones that are devices that are uh, customized by carriers because they have their own yeah. uh, branded and subsidized version, which is more of a thing in the US than it is in Europe. Maybe Europe it's like virus. a spammy version. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, especially it, with ads. <laughs> it was in Europe some time ago, but now it's almost never anymore. Yeah, they, I think they just realized it's an enormous Stupid. expense. No, it's just enormously expensive to customize devices, and then nobody yeah. uses the services that you try to show in their face. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> Who agree. would have guessed? <laughs> yeah, common sense, right? Yeah. So at this point, uh, I would. With, that is a good segue to move to two different things. So let's try to. Uh, okay, one is a question that I have myself, very short, and then another one that's maybe a more interesting topic. So now this new HMD that is basically doing this new Nokia phones is releasing the kernel source code for some phones, just only some models. And okay, I don't care about this basically as a user, but for people that are more into this world, what is it useful? Do you do something useful if you want to? Is that something good? Useful, useless. Uh, it is a legal obligation, mostly. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's why that's they, good... they have to do it. And actually, HMD is, as far as I understand, is in violation of the license terms for the Linux kernel, because the Linux kernel is licensed under the GPL, uh, which so is every Android license. Yeah. So basically, Android, as I mentioned, is very different things put together. There's a part which is the, the kernel and all the bits that interact directly and integrate into the kernel that are licensed under GPL. Mm -hmm. And those must be released. If uh, manufacturers don't release the kernel uh, sources, they are liable for a lawsuit for okay. breaching the, the licenses. Now, I am not aware of any actual lawsuit that has ever been brought forward, but theoretically, they could be. Okay. Uh, I'm not a lawyer, so my legal uh, advice uh, is practically worthless. But just to make it absolutely clear, in theoretically, that is uh, that is uh, illegal, and usually there is a lot of noise around uh, uh, around things where uh, the manufacturers don't release the, the the sources for kernels, and then the 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 hacking community just really starts to uh, to complain loudly about it until they they do release them. Yeah, pain in the ass. Yeah, but yeah. that's good. You have yeah, to yeah, put yeah. Uh, exactly. the pepper in the ass to the company. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Exactly. I mean, exactly. even as as a as an application developer, I I don't really care that much about the kernel sources. But for example, having the kernel sources allows people to build their own version theoretically. Of uh, of Android and install it on their devices, so it's kind of like it's kind of catering to this uh, basic need of still to some level being in control of the hardware that we buy. So yeah, I, I the, see yeah, the kernel is only thing. for the only for the model. Yeah, 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 yeah specific. Said, so it has all the drivers and all these kind of things in yeah. the kernel. Okay, yeah. but it's, it's the it's the part of the driver. That's the point because some manufacturing is building the drivers are also those open source. 
again, favorite answer. It depends. Some okay, of them are. So it can be. Some of them are. Um, some are released in form of blobs, so you don't get the sources, but they just get the mm -hmm. compiled binary. Uh, okay. That is, as far as I know, particularly true for things like cameras, uh, because uh, image processing technology is very, very kept under wrap. Yeah, because of it's course. really expensive to develop and uh, it's basically trade secret. So those are generally not released. And baseband uh, usually is released like a, the baseband for the radio module uh, is usually closed source as well, and so on and so forth. Like there's a bunch of them that are closed okay. source. But it really so, yeah. depends on the device, on the hardware that it runs, and what the, the creators of the hardware decide to do. Okay, yeah. Well, that was uh, just a quick question to know what this was this about. And maybe it would be, maybe for Johanna, it's still this uh, discussion between <laughs> you and Johanna mostly. So it's very interesting. I'm, I'm learning. Yeah, of course, because you're also more in the, in the field than us. I mean, <laughs> we don't program me and Nicola. So uh, moving to the programming language layer. So what do you use and what is used the most? Uh, well, Android is developed mostly using Java. The Android operating system is written in, uh, well, the, the framework level of Android. So the, the stuff that is sitting above the native level uh, is all written in, um, in Java. And it is not running the JVM, which is the reason why you know, the big uh, legal challenge uh, that Oracle brought to Google basically a month after buying uh, Sun and Java with it uh, is that they complained that Google uh, destroyed their possibility to bring Java to mobile because they did it first and they did it better, but they didn't <laughs> use the, the Oracle technology to run Java. So they just used the language, which is open source. Uh, and uh, Basically, Oracle complains that Google used um, some of the Java APIs um, in Android, uh, which they claim are copyrighted and copyrightable, which is to me is nonsense. But apparently, in the US, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, the US, okay, that's <laughs> it's the promised land of the lawyers. Yeah, yeah, and the nonsense. <laughs> yeah, also yeah. that. Yeah, and usually they are tightly coupled. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and uh, but the, since since Google I/O last year, and for those who don't know, Google I/O is the yearly, uh, let's say, big it's like developer the conference for 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 Android, right? Well, it's a developer conference, so it's not maybe as so it's like GDC. Yeah, it's more yeah. like GDC. But it's also so, kind of a it's the same as the big Apple event. It's a developer yeah, conference, but you announce things. Yeah, it's the same as Microsoft's Build the Conference build. or uh, WWDC for Apple. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, last year they announced a thing that made a lot of Android developers really happy, uh, which is uh, that they would be officially supporting developing applications in Kotlin, which is another language uh, that uh, runs on the on the JVM. It's a it's been developed by this company that is called JetBrains, uh, which is a 
Czech company, if I recall correctly, but basically everyone in there is Russian. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and they, they are the ones that make uh, some very famous developer tools like IntelliJ uh, IDEA, uh, and which is the, the IDE that Android Studio is based upon, which is the official Android IDE. So basically, a lot of developers had been using Kotlin uh, because it is a modern language, whereas Java has got some pretty serious limitations due to the fact that it's an, like it's 20 years old. Uh, is it? Uh, probably more. It was 1995 that it was launched. So mm -hmm. Java is very old, and it has to maintain backwards compatibility uh, because enterprise users do want that at any cost uh, but that means that it's gotten verbose and it's moving at a slow pace and so on and so forth and developers really felt like they wanted something more modern um, and I, I had been keeping an eye on Kotlin for a long time uh, and so did a lot of other people in the Android space in, in fact what Google did by uh, adopting Kotlin was basically just saying Hey, developers, we know that you're using Kotlin. We know that you really like Kotlin and you kind of dislike having to write Java code. So let's just do the thing that uh, is right and just adopt what everyone is already using anyway. So, okay, so this code that it's uh, not code, but programming language that is developed by a company. Is the code again open source and what is the company doing and what is the business model for a company that makes a language basically yeah uh well the kotlin is open source everything in kotlin is open source like entirely the full mm -hmm. stack the okay. compiler the language the specs everything is open source mm. and is released under an open source license and since google announced that they were adopting kotlin for android uh together with JetBrains, they actually announced that they were going to create uh, let's say a uh, independent foundation that would be uh, keeping Kotlin in control that would have representatives from Google, from JetBrains, and from other heavy users of Kotlin. Uh, so that they basically is not like, oh, this is only JetBrains product, and they can do whatever they want with it. And they, they, they basically got to the point to say, OK, this is big enough that it can stand on its own legs. And of course, Jet, JetBrains and Google are both investing a lot into it. Um, but it is open source. Now, the, the business model for Google is developers are happy and they make more apps and they hopefully yeah. sell apps on Android. And uh, I, I think Google mostly cares about users using Android than developers selling applications uh, because obviously Google business model is about user data. So that's what they care about. Um, and as for, obviously, I don't think they, they would say that the money that they get from the Play Store is bad, but. Yeah, no money are bad. Yeah. It's not the, it's not the main business for Google, for sure. Exactly, exactly. Uh, whereas for JetBrains, well, they are a tooling company. So the tooling is, uh, is open source, but what they sell is uh, integration into their uh, premium tooling, which is not open source. But JetBrains has always had like uh, an open source free community version of their, of their main ID. 
which doesn't have all the features and support for all the languages and things that you need if you're doing uh, enterprise development, for example. But mm -hmm. normal people can just pick up the stuff and use it. <clears throat> and then they clearly are successful with it because they're, they're going strong. And they're okay. So basically they stuff. sell product based on this language they wrote and basically you want your thing to be a standard so people kind of buy from you even if they buy yeah. from someone else also yeah i and guess I it's mean, similar to what like uh red hat and other uh big open source companies are doing is that yeah when there's a large enough sort of not even a user base but um i don't know different companies really wanting to use this sort of for example uh linux for any sort of um hardware where you want to i don't know let's 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 say servers and most of them are in the world are using linux so uh there's bound to be lots of money from these companies who actually really value the free to use or open source um operating system so that they can sort of then give the money to the foundation who uh upkeeps it and upgrades it yeah exactly Oh, some <laughs> there's there's so much new information. I'm sort of I'm almost I almost feel like I'm sitting at a lecture and sort of trying to understand and just listen to and, and try to sync all of this information in. It's not really a a, a podcast or a discussion. It's rather <laughs> I have a question. <laughs> Please explain. But it's 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 nice. It's nice. <clears throat> So Have what's you... the what's the state? Oh, sorry. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Tab. Yes. So what's the status of the latest Google development development compared with the um, iOS, for example, which I see as the main competitor or the only one, probably. Uh, not entirely sure what exactly you're asking. If there's any difference between you know. Uh, Apple-based uh, mobile software uh, and the Google one? I guess, well, the iOS and Android are very similar on, on some fronts, mostly on the, on the things that they copied each other over the years. Um, and they are very different in, in other regards. Uh, for example, Android is more... Uh, of, uh, let's say, of, of an open operating system, not in the sense that it is open source, uh, but because it is open source, but it is not developed in the open, for example, uh, but in the sense that it is open for extension, whereas iOS, uh, it is a bit more nowadays, but it is not historically been. Uh, and it's I, my understanding from the outside of how iOS development goes is that it's more like coding for, say, Windows, where you, you don't really know what's going on underneath. Like you, you have a, an idea, but you, you cannot access the source code. So uh, if there's any bug that you hit, you, you have an idea what's going on. Um, there is, it's quite interesting because nowadays uh, between Kotlin uh, on the Android side and Swift on the iOS side, uh, for a developer, I guess, uh, it, the, the development experience is quite nice. Uh, 
I, I really, I, I think that the tooling for Android is way more mature than it is for iOS. Uh, just to make an example, Xcode, which is the, the IDE that Apple provides for people to develop macOS uh, and uh, iOS applications, uh, is I think at version nine now, uh, but only at version nine did they finally introduce the ability to rename variables, <laughs> which is like, it's something that has always been taken for granted by all Android developers as being like the most basic refactoring that an IDE will offer you. But it was not available for Swift until 2017, late 2017. Mm. Well, what do you mean? I don't, I don't understand what you mean. So say you have a variable whose name yeah. is count or, yeah. or something like that. And you want to, and it's used in a bunch of places, and you want to rename mm -hmm. it from count to current count. What you would yeah. have to do is in, if you don't have uh, an automated refactoring from the IDE is to go and do basically a search and replace by mm -hmm. hand, uh, making sure that things still compile and make sense uh, and respecting the syntax and all those things. Whereas an automated renaming uh, refactoring is aware of the of the code structure and of the abstract syntax tree in which uh, the, the refactoring is applied. So if there is any transformation that need to be applied, for example, uh, adding a modifier or or shifting things around, it knows how to do it. Uh, no. So basically, if you don't have automated refactoring and uh, inspections and so on, is is mostly like writing code in uh, a text editor. It's, mm. like, it's not really helping you in any way. Uh, okay, okay, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a productivity thing. Uh, and yeah, in, in that sense, I think iOS is quite behind uh, in, in some respects for what it, what it comes to tooling, uh, or even just the fact that you cannot run unit tests uh, on iOS without having a simulator. So you have to, there's basically the tests are not run locally on the, on the machine, but you have to spin up a simulator that then will run the, the tests for you. But mm. that is not extremely convenient and it makes it a bit harder to do uh, TDD, for example, which is a test driven development. Uh, I'm starting to realize that either my, uh... Either my coding habits are very outdated, or it's a very different world between uh, mobile development and uh, PC development. Because I, I have actually never used any sort of automated refactoring. I've basically always done it by hand. It's sometimes tedious, but I don't know. It has got the job done so far. Yeah, I mean, it's again, it's a matter of productivity. Uh, and uh, it is, I, I don't know, I guess if you if you write mostly C and C++ or assembly, then there is a limit to the amount of refactorings that the IDE can offer you. But for languages like uh, Java or Kotlin, Swift, Objective-C, that are like mm -hmm. more high level, then there is a lot more that can be done. Um, and that does, when, once you get used to it, 
it does save you an inordinate amount of time mm. and also right. saves you for from issues like oh i i renamed this and i deleted the comma by mistake and now it's not working anymore mm. Mm. yeah hmm interesting interesting Okay, I'm yes. gonna uh, maybe stop this uh, <laughs> discussion about programming <laughs> because you're going way too <laughs> hardcore. In the... No, no, because this time I'm gonna write this, this, and this, and <laughs> and maybe move to maybe the last uh, topic if then you don't have any more in your mind. I have, but I, uh... I, have, I have more questions, but I can. Yeah, yeah, we can continue. Let's continue. So yeah, let's move. Let's move to a different topics all the time. Otherwise, kind of getting. We can do a secret show afterwards. Only for... yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> deleted scenes. <laughs> so the the other thing is that uh, Seb, you're working on user interface and user experience also. And this is something, or like, to what extent are you doing these things? Uh, mostly to the extent that I. Um... I am still an engineer, so I do code mostly. Okay. But uh, I, I really personally personally like to work on uh, user interfaces uh, because I'm I'm utterly fascinated by how the user experience changes uh, the way people use or not use an application and all the all the small things that you can do to make something seem uh, higher quality, even though it's like you mm. might be running the best algorithms in the world, you might have the best machine learning in, on the planet, but if users that need to use it cannot figure out how to use it, they're not going to use it. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. Okay, then let's just go maybe for more of a discussion and asking uh, opinion from everybody. So it's more like we end up with in a more discussion thing is that the fact that often in operating systems uh, when they are not gesture based and the gesture based for some reason has been they have been killed all the time and or they are very small like the Yola we were discussing before the podcast with Johanna and or it's basically on, yeah the yeah the selfish the operating system made by Yola based on this uh, Nokia operating system Migo that was with Intel and all this whatever there was this is gesture based and that's for me by far the best way to control something since you are just moving your finger around you don't have any keyboard and mouse controller whatever you're just the finger moving so gesture the best for me and then you have this new i don't know i don't use any ios but that looks the thing that is old 10 years old and is still 10 years old now you cannot even put the icons wherever you want but Android has this thing that search bar, menu, they're all on the top of the phone. And why, when the phones have screens that are huge nowadays, why they still put everything on the top, I don't understand. So I, I guess just... that's, that's kind it's of... It's not a question, it's questions. just... <laughs> it's, it, no, no, no. It's, or it's, zero it's, questions, I'm not sure. It's zero, it's zero question. That is what, what I think. It's like, okay, it is well, a rhetorical I... question. Why do they do it? Nobody knows. I don't I mean, think there is a reason. I guess one reason is that people have become used to it, and it's usually, uh, even if the improvement would uh, in the long run be better, uh, it's difficult for a large user base to change it. A very easy example is the 
QWERTY uh, keyboard. It's actually yeah, very but that's more of a muscle memory. Yeah, is yeah. Just, well, where well, is the bar? I just press here, press there, or well, I mean, you still might have a sort of muscle memory on on doing. I mean, all the changes in in uh, user interfaces are always. If, if if it's um product that is extensively used, you still have muscle memory. If you really, I, I yeah, definitely yeah. do. I definitely do. So if you quickly want to search for something or do something, you tap your phone twice and then tap there and tap here and then start typing, and you realize you're doing something completely different that you were uh, used to because it has changed. So what what like yeah? What do I want to know is like what do you think about all the? Uh, let's say everybody has an Android phone now, so. What do you like? What so, do you dislike about the general way of doing things in the user interface? I, I will start by saying that when you said gesture-based, I immediately thought of uh, Sailfish. Uh, yeah. Also, knowing you, I knew you were going to get there at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what, What's that? It's the, I'm going to link it to you so you can see while Seb, Seb, Seb speaks. Yeah, so basically, uh, they were not even the first ones trying to do a gesture-based operating system. I think uh, BlackBerry 10, yeah. uh, which was the, the, swan, uh, the swan song for BlackBerry, was um, also very heavily gesture-based. Uh, and to a degree, uh, WebOS was as well, when it was still developed by Palm. Yeah. Well, let's say the Migo was really one of the first. And, yeah, and, and Migo was uh, yeah pretty much at the same time as that. But the the problem is that people really don't understand how to use those. Like, they, it takes some time. The, they cannot be bothered learning. Like the the barrier to entry is too high, because until you you understand the logic and you need to want to understand the logic, yeah. then you can't use the device. It's yeah, frustrating as hell. Easy. It's yeah, because, great for power users, but it's horrible for normal people. Yeah, because there's a like a separate abstraction level between function and what I am doing instead of where um, touch screens are actually extremely perfect for for kids and babies because basically you can point at things and things happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, but that's kind of the lead, uh, like the easy way compared to the more. Because if you think about the gesture, it's the most natural thing you would do. Like, okay, if you want to go to something that is on the left, you move the screen. Yeah, but how, like, the relationship... You have to learn it, yeah, of course. Thing being on but the how, left. How does this work? Because I understand the gesture itself, but how can you translate to the phone the gesture? Just how maybe you want phone... to see a video. I, I, I mean, I, I'm on the website, and I watched the video, and doesn't show anything of gesturing, just a guy walking on the snow. I mean, okay, maybe that's not the. I'm a bit skeptical about these kind of things, meaning that to me they're like baity or something that's bait. Unless, as as I said, Sab, you want to have something that it's easy to understand. You want to something that you know how to use it without, because you don't want to learn something new from the scratch every time. So you want to have the confidence of using a device, knowing what you're doing at any given moment, right? The, the so... pro like a big problem with, uh, with gesture-based interfaces uh, tends to be, uh, is my understanding, that there is uh, no way for a user to understand 
without performing a gesture, what the hell is going to happen next? Mm. And you have, to, you have to teach them. That's you have to learn. Yeah. yeah. And there is a thing in design which is called uh, affordances uh, and signifiers. It's basically, think of it as like the handle on a door. By the shape of the handle, you can understand if it's a door, well, if it's a well done one anyway. You can understand if the door is made to be pushed, like it's a bar. Like you, you cannot pull a bar, you know that it's a door that you push, for example. I can see here you have uh, also read uh, the design of everyday things, which is, yeah. which is an yeah. excellent book. Yeah. <laughs> I recommend everyone. Exactly. Yeah. That's straight out of that book. Uh, and it's a very easy concept to understand. It's basically if the object, or in this case, the user interface, doesn't inspire a concept uh, to people, and people mostly use their sight to understand what to, how to interact with things, then people are not going to understand how they work. Uh, it is. It becomes a chore to to learn how to use things and to you know to to work uh, with the device instead of having the device working for you in the way you would expect it to be. Because expectations are very important. If people expect because they're used uh, to to having icons, if you get rid of all the icons, people are going to be like, how do I use this? And then you need to stay there and teach them. And they're going to be annoyed by the fact that there's no icons because that's what they want. Uh, so it's, it's really hard to pull off. Uh, people did, uh, it's not to say that people cannot learn new ways of interacting with things because they did for touch screens. But if you think about touch screens, they were just a natural extension of what they had before. There was a D-pad. And there was a physical keyboard, and they were replaced by uh, direct touch interaction, which is a step forward in simplicity compared to. Oh, can we go a uh, long step backwards? Because there's an actually there was lots and lots of studies. Well, okay, not that many, but I don't know, few tens of studies maybe made uh, in the early days of um, the telephone, where you don't have to. But you don't have the circle which you you put a finger in a hole and then you rotate it uh, to get the number you want and then you wait until it rotates back and you do it all rotary again. phones yeah yeah uh, after that when they uh, when it wasn't necessary anymore to actually rotate the numbers they did studies uh, on the layout of numbers which layout is the sort of the i don't know the most natural for people to use uh, so they did papers on this um, and that's basically why we have the numbers one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then zero at the bottom. So they also did usability studies to create the layout for for basically all the forms that we use nowadays. So in, in but in a way, okay. Beside the fact that now iPhone ten is going to uh, gesture based because they removed the the, the button. So if I mean, if Apple is doing it, meaning that it's possible that people learn because they would not do it otherwise. And uh, the big consumer base they have, it's every kind of people. So I guess yeah. they're confident enough that even the most idiot to the smartest person would learn. Okay, it's very simple, simple compared to the selfish or completely gesture-based. But if they think that it can be done, it probably can be done. Yeah, but if, there is one gesture on. Yeah, no, of course. Maybe it's something that takes more the time. The one, the yeah. one, which is basically 
you know where the, the home button was? That is where the home is. You just drag that up instead of pressing that. That's yeah, the only and difference. And if you press it, if I'm not mistaken, it does come up anyway. It just bounces a bit, or at least that's what I would expect it to do mm. yeah, to, under, to make people it's understand. It's, yeah. not, it's not a radical departure like Sailfish no, no, no. OS it's is maybe, or, yeah, or BlackBerry were. Like you have to go in gradual steps. If you if you overhaul things completely, people is gonna be disoriented. If yeah. you do it step by step, it's different. And if you're moving to a new operating system, then you can't do it step by step. It's it's from zero you decide where you want to go basically. Yeah, but and... that's that's why people tend not to uh, to buy devices with new and let's say strange yeah. to their eyes operating because system. they don't want to change yeah and overall um even though user interface uh it's a very good thing for it to be intuitive to use i mean if it's not intuitive it might be might be bad but it might also be the case that um i want to make the point here that learning isn't bad learning to use um not being able to use something immediately doesn't mean that it's a bad thing it just mean means that it might be a complex thing uh, last episode, we talked very well uh, about the difference between uh, complex and complicated. Yeah. If it's complicated, it's it's probably bad. But if it's complex, it just means that you have to learn how to use it. So yeah, there is a, this... there there is an appropriate level of complexity for yeah. different things. If you are maneuvering a very expensive, uh, say, microscope, it's fine if your software that controls it is very complex. It shouldn't be complicated, although although technical software usually is overly complicated. Because it's made by engineers. Yeah, yeah. exactly. For uh, engineers. Exactly, yeah, that they are okay to learn. Like-minded yeah. people that kind of have to put up with it. Yeah. Because if they want to use the, the tool, they have to learn it. There's no way around it. But for people that are just buying a phone, so consumers that are in a consumer market looking for a consumer device, they do not look for learning. They look for something familiar, something they can feel comfortable using, uh, something that probably takes good selfies for Snapchat or something. But the point yeah. is they have to be sure that they can use it because you're not going to spend uh, 800 euros or, or whatever on a, on a Thing that then you don't use because it's too complicated. Uh, one, lazy. One that's very why. Good. That's why all the phone became emoji phones, <laughs> where yeah. you, you can show your face and you can put like a, an avatar moving as you do. Yeah, how to use an extremely complicated <laughs> piece of technology for doing yeah. that. Uh, one good example is uh, when you compare. Uh, products that have been or uh, software that has actually been designed and software that has only been made and not designed it's just been implemented is um, it's if you compare for example game engine editors uh, which are commercial to something that is released by a game company that they themselves use for example our game editor is is well the usability is is um, on the very basic usage it's actually quite okay because it has to be, otherwise it would be um, completely unusable. But um, the further you go away from the most frequently used features, uh, the shittier and, and uh, more difficult to use it becomes because it's not designed. It's basically 
someone has a feature that they need, then someone implements it, and then we continue uh, producing the game. Uh, whereas uh, Unity or uh, Epic, they uh, actually sell their product, which is a game engine and the editor. So it has to be usable as well. In general, uh, I think you can, you can see pretty much the same thing when it comes to open source software. Uh, unless there is a company that is investing into the design for that, if it's just a bunch of developers doing it, it's usually you find like UI is very crude, like it's not polished in many ways. It's, nobody yeah. has ever uh, done a usability study for it uh, because those are time consuming, they're expensive, most developers don't really care. So yeah. that's that's kind of a problem. Like if you compare... Uh, say, uh, uh, what's the name? The open source uh, software uh, software to um, edit audio. Uh, I don't remember the name. Audacity? Audacity. Yeah, Audacity. Audacity. No. Yeah, if you compare Audacity with, uh, with uh, Adobe Audition, like they kind of do the same thing. Of course, uh, the Adobe software does have more integration with all the Adobe softwares and so on and so forth. But at the basic level, there is a massive striking difference between the software that Adobe does, which has, I don't know how many millions of dollars in user uh, research and design behind it, and the software that some folks developed uh, in their spare time. Like that, that's a massive thing. You don't necessarily get uh, designers to, to work on, on things for free. Uh, you might get some and some, Luckily, some open source software do have that luxury, but most don't. And it's funny how the usually programmers and engineers, they do that for free, and then you get a designer, they never do it. So is that also something that, I don't know why people do that? I mean, designers maybe do other stuff for free. Maybe they, they do free icons or, or yeah, other Yeah, yeah, they are not interested in the same thing. Like uh, Yeah user design they just don't care and like, well, usually if you have the if you have the capability to just create an end product by yourself like a engineer has or a programmer has it's it's sort of easier whereas if you're a designer of user interfaces it's pretty difficult i mean obviously you can sort of think about these things but you can't have an end product you have to have mm, someone yeah. to actually create it so you, you can have a um, hundred pages of documents about uh, user interface design and so on, but it's probably useless until it's uh, coupled with an implementation and all the, basically all the compromises that, that come with the implementation. Yeah, you take Firefox, for example. Firefox has an amazing design. It's great. I love it so much. Uh, and engineering-wise, is great as well. But Firefox has millions of dollars of funding every year and there is a foundation whose only purpose is to make that so it is open source and it is free but it's not like nobody's paying for that work it is paid work this is like most of the well not most but there is a lot of uh, of people that are in the core uh, fire uh, firefox team and they work full time on that and they're paid to do that yeah, it's not a hobby and it's also it's organized so it's someone that is making the guidelines is if it's a yeah. everything it's for free if there are three designers and everybody has a different idea and who decides 
since it's nobody's really taking care of that and i guess it, yeah. that's I the mean, problem it, it's also hard to to coordinate people unless you have someone that has a strong opinion uh, that is uh, not only able to change their mind if need be, but they also can rein in all the different voices that there are in, in such a thing. Because, of course, you're, you're working on something as a passion project, then you want to do whatever you want to do, right? Yeah. You, don't, you don't want someone to tell you, to tell yeah, you what so to it's do. It's your free time, yeah. Yeah. But, so I'm, I'm actually amazed that uh, software like Firefox managed to, to work very well. And to look as nice as they do, uh, I, I'm I'm really I'm really uh, a fan of the work that the Mozilla Foundation and all the developers do. So it's good if you use Firefox once in a while. Just give them five, ten euros, so yes. you can actually keep using it for free. The same thing with Wikipedia and all this kind of something. Exactly. If you don't pay, if you don't pay for something, they either are using your data or they need to find the money somewhere. So, I mean. So, it's either support user... your local <laughs> open source scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not not all open source projects require uh, money to be able to be run because they may not just have the scale or the the reach of something like like uh, uh, Mozilla Foundation does. But it, it's still important to have something uh, that does uh, that does work for you. And if you do find something that works for you. If it's open source, yeah, just it would be nice if you at least contributed. I mean, if you don't want to pay for it, at least see if they have any bug and fix it. Or if there's some things that they want to do design-wise, just try and help them. I mean, there's so many things you can help with. Even just if you're not a developer, you can just do translations and yeah. make sure that there's, there's always a way typos. to help. Yeah. So basically, we can end this. Uh as a homage to open source, give money to open source or app if you like. Make because... Salman great again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, we are going over the hour. So I told too much. Yeah, but that was uh, extremely that interesting. Was, that now. was very yeah. interesting. So it, it was uh, more of an interrogation more than a discussion. So that, I, yeah. I, I learned a lot, actually. Yeah. So I this mean... episode was extremely nice for that. Final closing comments. Yeah, well, if nobody has, has to say anything, more I, than I, I would have one thing to say to all the people yeah. who listen that buy phones. Please, when you buy a phone, make sure that the manufacturer is going to support it because you really want at least the security patches. You yeah. don't want to, to save 100 euros today and then find out that your phone is obsolete in a week and that you are uh, open to all security vulnerabilities. There's so many ways that people can, uh, both bad actors can get into phones uh, if you don't have security patches. So just try to, to think about your personal data is worth money. Yeah. Uh, and it's worth your life. If your identity gets stolen, that's not something that that costs a hundred euros that's your life maybe maybe joe's knows something about this <laughs> <laughs> something completely not related yeah yeah but uh, that's that's a very good point Seb. i share are you, everything you said are you are are you even joe or someone else yeah me uh, me, me yeah yeah are you so sure? this thing this thing happens like uh 
Not <laughs> no, okay, they didn't stole my identity, but they, they, but they can still they can steal you know personal information anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's easy to to steal personal information, and then it can be bad or 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 nothing. But mostly, it's gonna be bad. So be <laughs> careful what you do in the internet and just check what you buy. Basically, that's be the, safe. Yeah, and be remember, safe. Remember that pirated apps most of the time contain malware. Yeah. Otherwise, they will not do it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, always think before doing. Give money to your open source application. And uh, well, thanks, Seb, to come. Maybe you will join again thanks in the you. future. And let's thanks. see how many views we can see in this podcast. Let's see if <laughs> there's going to be a challenge between the the, uh, the guests. Which episode yeah. is going to get more <laughs> views? Which which is there a prize? Uh, you get invited again. <laughs> you can continue talking with us. <laughs> I gained the luxury of yeah, yeah, the privilege. You get the privilege uh, in the Discord to keep speaking. Oh, I thought you were gonna make a donation to an open source project in the name of the winner, maybe. Yeah, when when we we get enough that we can actually yeah, have some money. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. that's a good idea, and we came up with that before you did. Good. Oh, obviously yeah. you did. <laughs> okay, so let's close this and. Uh, See you next week. And next week is going to be the second episode of the game balancing mini series that we are doing. Sure. And for sure, it's me and Johanna. Maybe Nicola also is joining yep. for this one. Good. And that's going to be great because the first episode was pretty nice. Okay. So see you next week. Bye bye. Bye bye. Yeah. Bye. And of course, I forgot to do this. So. <laughs> <laughs>